We are steeped in the midst of a series on God's will. So tonight we're going to go a little bit deeper. Tonight, some of you might get a little uncomfortable. That's what we're here for. Some of you might be tracking with us. If you've been here all weeks, this might make a little bit more sense. But we're going to do a little review, talk about where we've been and what we're doing. Here's the roadmap of where we are. We've already covered God's sovereign will. We're going to review it very briefly for those who haven't been with us. We've covered God's moral will. We're going to review that briefly as well. Last week, we laid out the case for those who believe that God has an individual will for your life. We laid that case out so that you could say, yes, I believe he has an individual will. We're going to talk about that briefly again in review. And tonight, you can see on our roadmap, we're critiquing the individual will idea. We're actually critiquing the traditional view. Tonight, we're going to say that maybe there isn't an individual will for your life, that maybe God doesn't have an individual plan for you. And then we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at God's guidance. We're going to actually spend a week talking about doing God's will. We, we spent a lot of time talking. We're going to actually spend a little bit of time encouraging you to do something. And then we're going to answer a lot of your questions. For those of you who have been traveling with us for these weeks, you know that we've got a lot of questions that we had you put on cards. Just by way of example, here's some of the questions you guys have asked. And of course, here's the more questions you guys have asked. And here's the more questions you guys have asked. So we're going to cover all of those questions at the end. We are actually answering them as we go through. You probably haven't realized that, but as we go through, we're actually answering most of these questions, almost all of them. We'll get to them at the very end, okay? Let's review where we've been, just real briefly. This is what we said about God's sovereign will. We said that God's sovereign will, there's an intricate relationship between God's sovereign will and our free will. We spent the whole first week just wrestling with how much free will do we really have? If that's a subject that interests you, check out the first CD or download it online because we wrestled with that thing. But where we came out by way of review is just saying God does assure us that he's in control of all things and that we don't need to be concerned so much because he knows all things. He does tell us we have free will and that's where we're going to leave it because for the purposes of our series, if you're looking to do God's will, you don't need to worry about God's sovereign will. That's the Lord's domain. God will worry about his sovereign will because it's secret. We're not going to know what it is and how he works everything out until it's already happened. So for those of us who are will seekers, those of us who sit wondering, what is God's will for my life? The good news is, as many theologians have debated over 2,000 years, the intersection between God's sovereignty and control and knowledge and our free will, for our sake, we can just look at the debate Stretch our minds a little bit like we did in the first week and then set it aside and say, it's okay. God's in control of that part. I don't need to worry about it in seeking his will so much. It will be done the way he wants it anyway. So then we looked at God's moral will. That was our second week, really wrestling with God's moral will. What is it? We said that God's moral will, first of all, is revealed in his word. And it encompasses all of the things about how we're supposed to live and respond in faith. In English, these are the things when you open up the Bible that are filled the commandments and the ways that the Lord tells us that we should live and believe. It encompasses directions on specific matters. But many of you pointed out that there's some things that it doesn't talk about directly. And we search the scriptures sometimes for specific direction from the Lord about something and we say it's not covered. But it is covered if you consider that he tells us the attitudes 
the methods, the type of wisdom we're supposed to have to cover situations that we don't know specifically about. It's not like he's left us completely without a clue. In fact, there's a lot of verses that tell us the kinds of attitudes we're supposed to be. You may not find a verse in the entire Bible that says, go to a specific country and feed certain people. But we know from his teachings what type of attitude we're supposed to have about stewardship. What types of attitudes we're supposed to have about caring for other people. So we can use all of these things to sit down and think, sure, this is after the Lord's heart. All right, the real question that we struggled with under God's moral will is, why is it not good enough for us? God's moral will is so abundant. There are so many verses, so many examples of what he wants us to do in our lifetime. Why is it not good for us? Now, what do I mean by that question? Just by way of review, we said that most of us are constantly searching for God's will when it's right there in the Bible, full of stuff that we could never accomplish in a lifetime. And yet we seem to want some sort of individual will for us. And as we wrestled with that, most of the reason it seemed was we wanted to have some sort of special relationship while we were ignoring his express scriptures a lot of times. We want to know what you want me to do today when the answer might be right in the word. You remember this exercise we did where I just took five chapters out of Matthew and pulled out every instance of moral will that I could find in five chapters. And I challenged you to do the same thing, to find a passage of scripture yourself, just open it up and just start writing down different things that it says in scripture that you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to live or what attitude you're supposed to have. And I know that none of us could accomplish these things in one lifetime. And yet we want more. Last week, we started looking at the traditional view that's taught in churches that there is an individual will for your life. And the tenets of that are right here. First, rather than just looking for what's best for you or what you think the right answer is, in every decision we're supposed to say, Lord, what is your will for me in this decision? And tonight I want you to focus, since we're critiquing this view, I want you to focus on the tenets for a second. What is God's will for me in this decision? So you've got to think about each decision in this fashion. Second, the theory is God wants to tell you what his will is. So you can be confident that if it's important, you're going to hear his voice. He's trying to speak to you. Maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're not in tune with him. But God is trying to communicate his will to you. And finally, that if you don't accurately discern God's individual will, you're going to be in a place of discomfort, frustration. You're not going to be in the place that you need to be. God's sovereign will, it's his. God's moral will, revealed in the Bible. God's individual will, right here on the screen for you. This is how you're supposed to discover it. I told you that last week when we were setting up, I'd run into my friends at church and I told her about the book that we're using for these two weeks. And just so you know, we're not relying on one book. We're relying on four or five. We're reading a bunch of different authors so we don't get a biased view. But we were talking about this book, Decision Making and the Will of God. And the girl said, so can you just tell me what it really says in there? What is this book? I hear it's good. Just tell me what it says. And I summarized it and said, this author believes there is no individual will for your life. And that's what we're going to be critiquing tonight using some of his and my own critiques about why there may not be an individual will for your life. And I told you it looked like I had just shot her dog. There was that look of horror on her face because it felt like she'd either been searching for it her whole life and now it was taking it away from her. Like, uh, you know, it actually might not be there. And she's like, what? Or she was looking at me like, you're a heretic because I've been taught that there is this. Okay. 
I'm just reading out of this, all right? So tonight, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's why we're an open forum. You know the rules. You have a comment, just raise your hand, the discussion stops, and we'll talk to whatever you guys want to talk about, all right? Here is a summary visually that we used last week of what God's individual will looks like. This is God's moral will. This is where you could be if you just followed the Bible. But if you really want to be in the place God wants you to be, you've got to be right there. You've got to be in the center of God's will, in the middle, right there. And if you're not there, okay, you're still kind of in the club. He still likes you because he likes everybody, including evil people. You know, So he'll like you too. But you're not really where you're supposed to be, right there. If you're looking for that dot, if you believe in it, you would use these methods. Using the word of God, circumstances in your life, open and closed doors. The inner witness of the spirit, the counsel of others, your personal desires, common sense, and supernatural guidance. You would use a combination of those. And if you're looking for confirmation, and if I could just challenge you for one second to look at the screen. Some of you last week were already saying there may not be an individual will. You're already jumping a little bit ahead. But I kind of challenge you to look at this and think, don't we use some of these things to make decisions in our own life? And if we do, does that mean we believe in an individual will, or is that just a method we use? And just think about that. I'm just going to throw that question out there and leave it open-ended. I know that some of us look for circumstances to see if things are working out. If we feel a little like resistance, we think maybe the Lord doesn't want us to go that direction. So before we throw out this theory completely, just pause for a second, look at the screen, and ask yourself, isn't it true that some of us use this method? Or some of these methods? And what does that mean? Just leave it as an open question. All right, let's dive in. Let's critique the traditional view. If I or this author or anybody says that there is no individual plan for your life, why would that be? Why would somebody say that? Here's some problems with believing that there's an individual plan that God has for your life. Number one is the problem of ordinary decisions. One of the tenets of the traditional view is that God has for each person a a will for the decisions you make. So how do you know which decision you're supposed to seek his will on? If you follow this all the way to the end, you would seek his will on every decision. How many of us do that? Raise your hand if you wake up and every decision you make, you seek his will. What to have for breakfast? What you should wear for the day? What's wrong with thinking that way? Does that seem trivial and silly to you? I think mean, you might not find the answer every time. You know? But you could wait for it. I mean, you've heard that you should wait patiently for the Lord. So you wake up in the morning and go, Lord, what do you want me to have for breakfast? And then you just go, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then like, you just wait, you know? And around noontime, you're like, you know what? Forget the breakfast. How about lunch? Like, what do you think I should have for lunch? Yeah, what you should wear today. Does that seem trivial? Silly? Let's give us a free will. Okay, so you free will, so you shouldn't ask them what you need to eat for breakfast, right? Is it practical? No, I don't think so. I mean, no, probably not. Maybe it sounds like a trivial example. What about um, whether you should go to work that day or not? <laughs> I mean, do you, like, wake up and say, Lord, do you want me to use my sick day today and just <laughs> stay home? I know some of you probably asked that. You said it was common sense? Pretty much. Common sense that you go to work? Yeah, because calling in sick when you're not really sick, that's lying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
Let me, let me tell you why I don't think it's so trivial. I've heard testimonies of people who didn't go to work on the day of the 9-11 tower disaster. And I've heard people say that the reason I'm alive today is because it was God's will. Now, listen to me really carefully because I'm on thin ice. I'm about to go right through the floor here. <laughs> I'm not saying it wasn't part of God's sovereign will, and I don't even know that it was in or outside of his moral will. I don't know the answer. But imagine how silly you thought it was a few seconds ago to ask God whether you should go to work or not. And then I've heard plenty of Christians testify that it was God's will that certain things happen on that day. And it may be part of his sovereign will, but I'm questioning whether they really had stopped to ask the question or it just happened. Did they really wake up and struggle and spend time in prayer and mature counsel? And did they have an inner working of the Holy Spirit? Did they get down on their hands and knees and ask, should I go to work today? Or did something just happen, circumstances, and then they attribute it? And I'm saying I'm standing on thin ice because God may be up there right now saying, you're screwing this all up. But I want us to be thinking Christians for a moment and ask ourselves, is that possible? That something so trivial and silly that we just mentioned becomes like something so full of weight and gravity a second later when you change the hypothetical just slightly. Consider this as an alternative too. If you believe that God is supposed to make every decision for you, which is what the traditional view really says, and I told you last week, I'm not misreading it. I've read people who write about finding the individual of God, and they all seem to concur that God has a decision for you in almost everything you make. Well, we don't look for it. So one is we're not doing it. And two, some of you might be saying, come on, that's silly. I mean, you don't, you don't know. It should, we should only make it with the big decisions. And my question to you is, well, how do you know what a big decision is? For the people who didn't go to work that day, that was the biggest decision of their life. We don't know what a big decision is. I know what we think is a big decision. Lord, where should I go to school? Lord, what major should I be? Lord, should I marry this person? Lord, is it your will that I work at this job? That's what we think are the big decisions. What if in God's calculus and his equations, the big decisions are you didn't go to work today or you need to wear this thing so somebody will meet you or that t-shirt you're wearing is going to catch somebody's eye and they're going to ask you about it and it's going to change the course of their life and all of history. I don't know what the decisions are, but that's why people critique this view because they say, how do we know? We can't possibly know. Look at the second one. What if you have equal options? Like you're trying to decide what school should I go to? They're both like good options. If you believe that God has a perfect will for you, if you choose the wrong one, I'm not saying that one's horrible and one's good. I mean, they're both good schools. They're both giving you good opportunities. They're both godly places where you could really participate. Does that mean that if you don't go to the right one, your whole course for the rest of your life is altered? You're just outside of the circle for the rest of your life. Because you got off the track somehow. All the friends you had at that school weren't the friends you were supposed to have. All the things you studied weren't the people, the teachers, all that stuff. Yeah. I just want to jump in a little bit. You're talking about decisions as far as, like, you know, school or where to go and everything. But it's like, I mean, there's chosen people by God that he has direct things for them to do. But at the same time, it's like there's certain things that alter our, our universe and our life that God can still use and take that, you know, even though it was tragic or it was tragic. Like, so there's, there's certain things that, that I think are set in stone and there's certain things that aren't set in stone. So you're saying if you pick the wrong one, he could still work that through to whatever he's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's part of God's sovereign will, I do. The question is, does that mean that he had an individual will for you or is he just saying, hey, you work it out whichever way you want and I'll work it out to the way that it's supposed to be in the end. Here's another problem, the problem of immaturity. Now, this is just a practical common sense problem that's cited in the church. 
Have you ever heard somebody doing something totally ridiculous and saying, well, I sense God telling me to do this? I think if we've been around Christians long enough, we've heard this one enough where you say, like, are you sure? You know, like a freshman who's going to walk out of college because they feel like God's leading them to go to Africa immediately. I'm not saying it can't happen. What I'm saying is there's a lot of times where a lot of wise counsel, other people would say, maybe you should finish what you started here. I mean, maybe you're not hearing correctly. But if without this, when we just say, hey, God has an individual plan, he's going to work it out, and I'm in it with him, you guys aren't in on it, we're almost excluding other people. Here's a critique that's often cited of an individual will. There's the problem of time wasted. You guys said that you wouldn't wait on the Lord for breakfast. But we're certainly willing to wait on the Lord about major decisions and put them off. Meanwhile, we're losing time. We're stewards of God's time. All the time that we've been given belongs to him. And what we, are, what we use it for, we're accountable for. Here's an example. You say to somebody, and it may not be you, because maybe you guys are all the people who will jump into everything when it's offered to you. But you'll walk up to somebody and say, how would you like to help us with this certain thing? And they may respond, I don't know. I don't know if I feel led to do that. You heard somebody say that? Like, they're like waiting on God's calling. I'm not sure I feel led to do that. Now, we know that it could be that they just don't want to do it, and that's just Christianese for saying, I don't want to do it. Like, <laughs> like you know, like, you want a piece of cake? No, thank you. But in Christianese, you go, you want to do this? Ah, I don't feel led, you know? All right. And you always have to look constipated when you make any of these. Ah, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Somebody says something uncomfortable to church, we always go, mm, yeah, I have some concerns about that. I don't feel led. All right? Like if someone says, hey, you want to join our homeless ministry for a while? And you're like, "Ah, I don't know if the Lord's leading me in that direction. You may sincerely believe, like, I haven't heard from the Lord specifically about this. Okay, great. Get involved until you hear something specifically. But in the meantime, what are you doing? The Bible is full of his moral will, remember? We're not accomplishing anything as we're waiting for the leading. So critiques of the traditional view say there is lots of time wasted among God's people because we're sitting waiting for specific direction. Again, even if specific direction exists, the waiting time is just spent wasted time. That's a critique. Here's another one. The problem of fleecing. We read about Gideon, right? He put the fleece out there. Like, Lord, are you sure you want me to be the general of this army? Like, I'll put a fleece out there, and if it's wet, it's, it's warm, it's hot, it's whatever. Okay. We still do that. One of the examples in the book is, is given about a guy who is fleecing for a girlfriend. Now, I don't think anybody does this. This is probably like old-fashioned because I don't even think you guys call girls anymore. You're probably texting them or whatever it is, right? But, you know, but, but it goes something like this. Like you, you dial, and then you go like, Lord, if it's your will, she'll pick up like on the first ring, you know? <laughs> Sounds silly? There's got to be people on this campus who do that. There's got to be people in our own lives that we know that do that. Like, Lord, if it's your will, you'll, and you fill in the blank. It's like, come on, Lord, it's a perfect test. It's a yes or no type thing. If it's your will, then I'll just get the money tomorrow. And if it's not your will, it won't come in. All right, I'm not saying that can't happen. But it leads to all sorts of fleecing in weird ways. I know there are churches that said, Lord, if we don't get the money to this, we're not doing the building campaign. The money shows up miraculously and people are praising God. I don't know what to do with that right now. I'm putting that aside for a second. Because I'm not critiquing that that never happens. We know it happens. It happens in the Bible. But what I'm saying is how many times do we adopt that as our method of determining things? Like we're walking around with a divining rod, posing yes or no answers to them, right? That's what we're doing. We're playing 20 questions with the Lord. 
Like, I know you're not going to say it out loud, so just give me yes or no on 20 questions, and I'll get the answer by the end. Like, if you want me to do this, then it'll show up. No? Okay, that's not the, Okay, how about if you want me to do it? No? Okay, that's not it. So we're doing the same thing. We're fleecing. And I don't know that we're actually tapping into him as much as we're just trying to see if the circumstances will work things out randomly for us. Isn't that not having faith, though? Is if you're like, oh, Lord, if, if the lightning strikes three times, then it's your will. Like, how is that trusting in him? It's probably not because you're asking for confirmation. But look, he allowed it in the Bible sometimes, right? I mean, he said, like, I, Gideon, I want you to do this. And Gideon's like, I want to be sure it's you. Fine, you can test me. And then he was tested and he comes back and goes, like, I'd like to doubly check that it's you just in case and he allows it again so why does the lord allow that in some cases i think that's probably because he wanted to raise up gideon and show him he was there yes of course if you heard the lord clearly and yes of course i think most of the time by the way it's not just lack of faith it's lack of desire to do it like we'll say you know lord yeah i I would quit my job and 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 go out and become an evangelist if if like you did this crazy 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 thing you know Because then we're saying, well, Lord, I told you if you wanted to get my attention, it would be like this. It doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean he didn't want you to do it. It just means that you set up a test and you hope that he just wouldn't answer it. Or you go the other way with this fleecing. Like if she picks up the first ring, we're meant to be together. Here's the last one. The problem of subjectivity. What is that? You remember on that list there was like, look for the inner feeling of the Holy Spirit. Look for peace. Look for confirmation. These are a little bit subjective. You know this because you'll understand what I'm about to say. The traditional view on finding God's will is that if you're doing what God wants you to do, you'll have this inner peace inside of you. You know, there have been times when I've done what God wants me to do, and I'm scared out of my mind. I remember when I, when I felt like God was saying, you should go on a mission trip to Russia. I was like so stressed out. There was no peace. I thought it was the wrong idea all the way until I almost got there. There have been times when God said, I want you to get up and do this thing. And I felt it, but it was not peace. I was wrestling against it. People would tell you, well, if you're wrestling against it, that must be the movement of the Spirit telling you not to do it. But later on, I saw great things come from it. You know, there's that also that theory, like the safest place to be is the center of God's will, right? I don't know. Do you think Stephen, when he was being stoned, was feeling pretty safe? Do you think like the, the, the apostles, when one of them's crucified upside down and all these things are like hunted, do you think the Christians in the early church felt safe? Do you think they walked around and said, how you doing? You know, the center of God's will, safest place to be in the Roman Empire. No way. No way. We've made Christianity safe. We made it suburban. We made it subcultural. We made it easy. That's what we've done. So we're walking around saying it's a safe place to be in the center of God's will, right where he wants you to be. Hey, it's, if there is a center of God's will, it's a good place to be. But it, he didn't promise us anything but picking up the cross and following him, denying ourselves. There's truth. There's reward. It's the way it's supposed to be. But in those moments when you're facing your imminent demise or something less, or when you're giving sacrificially to the Lord, or when you're letting down who you are and giving up your pride and giving up your possession or saying you have it all, Those are not moments, I think, where most of us would have peace. We're probably scared out of our mind. So there's this subjectivity of like, I don't know. I don't feel so much peace. That means it's not God's will? I don't know. These are all critiques saying it doesn't make sense that God would be up there giving these little messages to you all the time. Besides, his moral will is so all-encompassing, we're not even paying attention to that. Why do you want more? Why do you need more specific instruction? Let's look at Scripture. Don't just listen to the critiques. Let's look at Scripture. I've looked at some of the verses 
people cite to say that God has an individual will. So I thought, don't listen to me. Let's look at scripture together. Here's a couple of them. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. The most often cited version is the King James Version. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct and guide thy paths. Sounds like it's saying that if you acknowledge the Lord, he will guide you. Is that a fair reading? I mean, that sounds like scriptural support for the fact that there might be an individual will. Here's the problem. The King James Version has a problematic rendering here. I looked at two sources. Here's what they say. The better understanding of what it means to make your path straight is not to guide your path. It's to make you successful. It's to smooth out the road of life that you're on. What this is really saying is you acknowledge the Lord and you will be successful. It's not the same thing, is it, as saying he'll guide you. You're going to see tonight that a number of the citations come because people have been reading the King James Version and it just cha- it's, the words are just rendered differently. But the word comes closer, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I'm not going to pretend that. But the sources that I consulted both say the better interpretation is to say it really is that he's going to, be, he's going to grant you success for following him. Here's another one that's cited. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Again, look at the King James Version. It says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. Do you see the difference? I will counsel you versus I will guide you. The first problem with this verse, by the way, is scholars are split down the middle as to whether this is God speaking or David speaking. Whether it's God saying that I'm going to instruct you and mentor you and counsel you and guide you, or whether it's David saying it. But either way, I mean, I started looking at that debate and I thought, we could go down that rabbit hole, forget it. Whether it's David or it's God, it seems like the intent of the words is to say, I will counsel you, not that I have an individual plan for you. So again, it just seems like people are reading into it to find verses that support something they'd like to have true. Remember tonight, we're critiquing, so I'm on the critique side only tonight. Proverbs 16.9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Let's hear from you. Does that support God's individual will? It seems like God's sovereign will. It's like saying man plans this, but the Lord's going to have his way anyway. Yeah. I think that's one of those verses that you would wrestle with about God's sovereign will and how much free will we have, which we already had that struggle. But you're right. This sounds more like God's sovereign will. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. John 10, 27, often cited for people who believe there's an individual will. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is often cited to say, if you know the voice of the Lord, you will hear him, and you will follow him. He'll tell you where to go. Anyone know what's wrong with this passage being cited? I'll give you a clue. What was Jesus using this verse to respond to? Does anybody know when he said, the sheep hear my voice? You know what he was talking about? Who he was talking to? He was talking to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were saying, they're basically implying that people will follow us because we're their leaders. And he was saying, no, they're really going to follow me because they know my voice. So it really isn't about guidance or your will or individual thing. He was just talking about who they're going to follow. Here's another one. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is Paul talking about some sort of individual will? I'll give you the answer. The answer is no, he's not. If you break it down into these sections, the first 11 chapters of Romans are really a bunch of doctrinal statements that Paul is making about the church. And he's about to transition into spending five chapters talking about how to live in light of this truth. Sounds like what type of will? Moral will. Same thing here in Ephesians. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because these days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So someone says to you, don't be foolish. You should know the Lord's will. Is there anything in there that says they should know the Lord's will for your life? It's not in the verse. In fact, if you look at the rest of Ephesians, this is what he's talking about. These are the exhortations that Paul's giving. Be imitators of God. Walk in the light. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in this and that. Do not get drunk. What's it sound like? It sounds like moral will again. In fact, the whole chapter is talking about things you should and shouldn't do. We beat it up one last time. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm going to leave that on the screen for a second. Let's take your temperature. Where are you guys at tonight? How many people at this point in our conversation believe that, they, that God has an individual will for your life? Okay. About, what, half? Is that fair? Tell me why. I want to hear why. I think for me it's like, just in terms of what you were brought up in our church, what you were, what you were taught, you know, to seek God's will for your life. And I think also there's a part of it that, you know, you just kind of accept that too, and you don't really challenge it. So no, this is kind of challenging. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? I, I think God created everybody for a specific reason. He's personally, like, individually, but, you know, they have their own specific purpose in life. When they're created, so they be the same. Okay. So he gave each person a purpose, right? Okay. I think we have, we have certain gifts and abilities and talents and, um, you know, I, I mean, at times we have to pursue those things and, and Certain things are within us, and whether it's abilities to teach or et cetera, et cetera, um, it seems like those things are put in us to be used in a certain way. And see, it seems like, at least for me, that God, um, to, you know, He gives you the option to be able to use those in a certain path. Okay, let me ask some pushback on something you guys said. You said that, that God has a purpose for you and everybody, right? Does that mean that He's planned out every decision so that it, you will meet that purpose? Is that what you believe? No. But you do have a purpose. Okay? And you were talking about God giving us the ability to do certain things. I mean, when I'm asking, do you believe that there's an individual will for your life? I'm asking even more specifically. Let me say it more specifically. Does that mean that God wants you in the center of a certain spot? Do you believe that so that you can use those gifts that you just talked about? Um, I would say yes. I use the example of Jonah in the Bible. They God individually willed Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah disobeyed. Yeah, and then what happened? God made him go back, right? Okay. One of the things that I think we should consider is how many times in the Bible did that happen? As a fair question. 
because I think Jonah is a good example. And uh, I'm not. Gonna, I, I don't want to ruin where we're going, but that's a fair question to ask. Yeah. Well, also, I guess kind of on that same track, what I was thinking when I was. I think some people have an individual will. I think there are people that God raises up in the church to proclaim His name and be heads, and if they don't take on their musical or teaching abilities or other gifts that they may have been given. I think some people have been led into certain places in the church and that some people are just supposed to do the everyday stuff, the loving others and the being good to people and giving money. And I think there are people who have these specific wills. That- so some people are, they're, they're called out for individual plans that God has David mapped. was called out, but I can't say his okay. brothers were necessarily called out. Right. Are you one of those people that's been called out, do you think? Do you believe yes. that? Specifically, no, not necessarily. But I do know people in my life I would put that plan. Okay. Andrew? It just the whole not having an individual will doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. Because I don't like, like we were saying before, like I don't like the idea of just like, okay, here, like I don't care what you do as long as you praise me, like your thing. Okay, I, I agree with everything you just said, but can I push back? Yeah. How about if you said like, I don't care what you do as long as you praise me and fulfill everything else that I put in scripture. Yeah, but for, it still doesn't. Not good enough? Like carrying the poor, clothing, feeding? You know when you feel like you've got like something like within you? Like you feel like God put this passion in your heart, like this drive like in your heart. To feel that he didn't, that that's just kind of like hanging out, but like he doesn't care if you use it or not? That doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I, I don't I don't want to beat up on you. That's why, can I keep going a little no, bit yeah, further? Okay. Imagine having a conversation with Jesus where you say... Lord, it bothers me that you didn't have something specific for me because I just felt like you didn't care. And he said, Andrea, I cared with all my heart that the people in the world be clothed, fed, people be visited, people be loved. I cared so much that people hear the word. I cared so much that, that people not die and not know about me. I couldn't care more about those things. It seemed like you were the one that was waiting for something better than what I cared about. I feel like it's possible to have an individual will without it being so ridiculously step by step by step by step by step. Okay. I mean, but it can still be your individual will that God has for you. It doesn't have to be what cereal am I going to eat or whatever, but it could be still a little... Like a plan, maybe yeah, not a... Like a plan. Okay. For your life. It, it kind of sounds like individual will. I mean, it sounds to me like we, we want the script for the story of our lives with us as the main character. But what if we're all just, like, supporting roles in the grand glory of God's drama? And he's the main character. Yeah, I mean, it's like his sovereign, like, there's, there's like, the big picture of his sovereign will, and we all have a part of that, but... Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, our last series that we did was Spiritual Gifts, right? So we went over a spiritual gift inventory to find out what our spiritual gifts were. Right. So you kind of take that, plug it into God's will for our lives... So obviously, if he's given us spiritual gifts, and he has a plan and a purpose for us with using those kind of gifts, correct? I think we still have to define plan because, like, I could see a scenario where God says, Ryan, you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Now read the Bible and figure out what my moral will is for people who have that gift. There are certain desires that we have and certain gifts that we have that other people don't have. Um, when you take on the passion of, of really following God... And really going, you know what, it's not my will, but it's your will be done. It's not my plan, not my purpose, but it's his purpose. And what he wants me to do in this lifetime, then it really doesn't matter what you do at that point, as long as God's using you. Okay, but is that supporting, do you still believe there's an individual will there, or is that just saying... It's Then God can use you in the individual will that he has for your life. Okay. Look, I'm bothered. I'm not telling you i got to figure it out. I'm bothered. 
because I don't want to believe in a God who just looks at everybody the exact same, right? But I don't think anyone's saying that, by the way. You're talking about spiritual gifts, and you're talking about having some sort of plan. Randy's talking about having some sort of purpose. I'm not saying that God makes us like the Borg or something. We're all just like walking around. I think that he... Look, we know he gives us different gifts. We have different blessings. We have different personalities. We have different a lot of things. The question is, us being as different and as differently gifted and as differently wired as we are and created unique in every way from the other people and him knowing us intimately. I'm not trying to make us all like we're all the same. But having all those unique differences and everything, the question is, does he then say, because you've been programmed like this, then your path is like this, or does he just say, here it is, you're unique, gifted, purposeful, have all this stuff, all this thing, now go to it. And you're saying, go to what? And he's saying, have you read the Bible lately? Like, there's a bunch of things in there you can go to. (laughs) No, but I mean, for me, that's what we're trying to solve, because if there is an individual will, it would have been the best path. Everything else is kind of a good path. But the best path is the one that he had planned. And the way we should have figured it out is by playing the 20 questions. Yes, no, 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 yes, yes, no, no, yes. And like walking on the path and bumping into closed doors and going through open windows and figuring out going, this is your best path for me. And that's what we're trying to be a little bit provocative about and ask, is that really exist? Anyone else bothered? You okay? Some of you, I mean, like more of you believe in the individual will. Take me on. Is your head going to explode? Yeah. Uh, can we define what individual will means exactly? Like... Right. I'm going to be totally fair to the people who propose individual will, okay? Their definition is the one that I had way back here on this screen. Let me go all the way back. This one. In, in almost every decision, God has a will for you. Now, I'm saying I'm being fair to them because I don't know that any of them would say... God has a decision for you in what you eat for breakfast. But the literature that's out there says he has a will for you in every decision. That sounds like you could take it to that level. And the reason that I take it to that level is the question that I said about those seemingly ordinary choices. You know, maybe the breakfast one seems dumb to us, but... Just a little bit over from that is the decision about going to work, the decision about deciding who you should have lunch with. Those decisions could have drastic effects on our lives. All of us have lived long enough to know that we could think of a time in our life had we just made one different decision. Our entire life would have been so different. In many ways, like I can think of so many decisions I've made. That means that maybe I shouldn't have been asking him, if I believe in an individual will, what I should have for breakfast every morning. But every one of those decisions that altered the course of my life, I should have been seeking his will. And the open, honest answer I'll give you right now, there's a lot of times where I didn't seek his will. Good things happen, by the way. Sometimes bad things happen. But like what I think are important decisions, if you ask me like, let's just say you told me, I've just consulted with the Lord and he told me, there is an individual will for your life. So shut up with this critique because it's over. Like, okay. (laughs) And then you asked me, Now that the Lord has told us there is an individual will, what do you think you should be asking about? And what I would say to you is, like, I would list a set of big decisions, you know, starting with what profession did you want me to be? Who should I have married? What school should I have gone to? What should I be doing today? Should I be here today? Should I be even doing what I'm doing? What do you want me to drop out of my life? I'd be asking about those things. But if I look back at the things that impacted my life the most, 
some of them would never have been on that list. That's why I think this is a little bit what they call the problem of ordinary decisions. Because if you believe the literature about seeking God's individual will, we should be asking about, I'll say, almost everything. And most of us only ask about the big ticket items that we think are significant. And that's where I think the second foul, the first one is we only ask about big ticket items. And the, the second thing that makes it even crazier is we're the ones deciding what are big ticket items. When we know the Lord uses the ordinary, the simple, the crazy to change people's lives. He works out of weakness, not out of strength. He works in surprise sometimes, not out of the way we expect him to. He's beyond our ways. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. I also heard something that Ben said like almost two or three weeks ago when we were talking about individual will right from the start. He said like, if it was there, wouldn't it be a little easier to figure out if he really wanted? I mean, God's moral will, it's right there in the Bible. You could find it fast. He was very clear about it. If there is an individual will, would we all be walking around like lemmings in this life looking for it? Would we all have to have like a hundred seminars on it? Would there be all these many books on how to figure it out? Because I know most of us, if you came back and said, Lord said, shut up, there is individual will. All of us would want to know what it was. It's not like we don't want to know what it is. All right. I want to point something out, by the way. We were looking at Colossians 1.9. I think this is a compelling verse to say that there might be God's will if you read it by itself. Because it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It sounds like people are specifically praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And when I heard this verse the first time, I was like, I think that's a compelling verse. That God does have a specific will because here they are praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. And why would you pray for somebody to be filled with the knowledge of his will if it's right there in the scriptures? But if you read the rest of the verse, it says why we should be praying this way. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him. Sounds like moral will. In all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, what it says, be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you'll fulfill what really sounds like his moral will. The three greatest verses that I think are in Paul's writings commanding us to seek God's will. All three of them, if you look at them in context, appear to talk about God's moral will. And I want you to understand that a lot of times when you hear these three verses, they're often cited just like you see them right now. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Ephesians 5, 15 and 17, Colossians 1, 9. Just that is cited. And the problem with that is look at the beginning of each word. What does it begin with? Therefore, therefore, and for this reason. One of the good ways of learning how to read the Bible in context is you, when you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask a question. Do you know what it is? This is something that George Haraxon used as a, as a way to help one of the pastors in New Song. He said, if you see therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? It's a transition statement. For example, in, a, in Romans, Paul has laid out 11 chapters of explanation about something, and then he says, therefore. You can't just look at those two verses because he's saying, therefore. In light of what I just spent 11 chapters explaining, now I will tell you some more stuff. 
In Ephesians, therefore, well, that means you better look at what he was saying before. By the way, he was talking about God's moral will for a good period of time. For 14 verses before and for a few verses after 17. Therefore, you need to look at what it's there for. All right, let's wrap up. Because I know some of you, there's like a little bit of discomfort in here. And I'm one of them. I told you that that look of horror is still in my mind from her saying, like, I look like I had shot the dog, right? I felt like I'm on thin ice and I still feel like I am. Because like Jason Craig over here, I grew up in a church that always told me to find God's will and be the center of God's will. And I realized that I'm standing up here supporting a critique of it. Last week I supported the case that there was God's will. This week I'm critiquing it. And I want to confess openly that I don't have the full answer yet. We're going to keep studying and take this kind of discomfort we have with the subject into next week. And the question becomes, okay, let's go with it for a minute. If there isn't an individual will, then what is there? Is it just God's moral will and that's it? Doesn't the Holy Spirit guide us in any way? Are we just on our own? There's got to be something more, even if the individual will is not this daily planned out thing for your entire life. And I think even those of you who raised your hand and said, I think there is an individual will, would probably back off a little bit from saying that controls almost every decision you make. Most of you think, no, there's got to be more wiggle room than that. So for those of you who think that maybe I've shot your dog, I found this little cute little thing right here. (laughs) And I just love it because the graphic said, your logic makes the puppy sad. And I thought to myself, you know what? Some of you in here are, are mourning the potential loss of this whole concept of individual will. And you think that maybe I've come to shoot your dog somehow too, because you're looking at me with that look like, you know, like your logic makes me sad. Go with me for a moment. This group is about being a little bit provocative once in a while, a little bit tough, so we get to the bottom of it. And I'm hoping that as we take one more step that the ice is not going to crack, but that next week we say, okay, assuming for the moment that there isn't this direct individual will, what is there left? And I hope that God is the one who's illuminating the discussion in here. I'm not here to tell you it's not here. That's not my job. My job is just to present the different materials that we see and hope that the Holy Spirit works in your heart and then you share that back with us, what he's stirring in you. Because in this group, when we reach consensus on something, we're pretty close to the truth. I think we found that there's wisdom in the counsel of God in this room. Let's pray and close with a little bit of worship. Lord, we give you a sacrifice tonight of our time because we know that we have demands. Some of us are worried about work and school and pressures, and we take time out to be here tonight to worship you and also to sacrifice time studying some subjects that sometimes we'd rather not even open, just leave them closed and not worry about them. So tonight, Lord, our sacrifice is that time. It's the energy that it takes to just be here. But Lord, I'd like to also sacrifice our pride. If any of us think we have the answer, including me, I want to sacrifice our comfort, Because these things may be stirring in places that don't make us feel comfortable. Maybe we've got you figured out in our mind and we want to keep you where we've got you figured out, Lord. And you're just bigger than that. And Lord, now I want to sacrifice our lives in worship to you. Because you're the only one who's worthy of all praise.
Lord, everything we have is yours. Use it for what you desire. In your precious name, amen.